You're listening to Earth Lads Roundup. Welcome to the show. This is Earth Lads Roundup. My name is Michael Finelli. I am your host and resident Earth Lad. Uh, this is an environmental news and information podcast, and we have a huge show today, both literally and figuratively. I recently interviewed Andrea Leon Grossman, who is the director of climate action at an environmental advocacy org called Azul. Uh, they're part of a broad coalition of groups who have been actively opposing a new desalination plant going in in Huntington Beach. And we had a really great conversation. She knows a lot about a lot of things and thus had a lot to share. So uh, I know this episode is a little bit longer, but there was just too much good stuff in there to cut anymore. So um, yeah, I know I learned a ton over the course of this conversation. So hopefully you will too. Um, listening back, I've realized that we didn't really explain what desalination is up front. So if you're new to this, it basically just means sucking water out of the ocean and processing it to be used as potable tap water. Uh, it's been used in various parts of the world to varying degrees of success, and it's highly controversial for a whole bunch of reasons which we will break down in detail throughout the interview, so stay tuned. Um, But first, let's do a couple quick headlines. Okay, so uh, just a couple days ago, on Thursday, April 28th, the Attorney General of California announced a first-of-its-kind investigation looking into the role fossil fuel companies played in causing and exacerbating our global plastic waste problem. Uh, AG Rob Bonta said that they had subpoenaed ExxonMobil for information on the company's quote-unquote historic and ongoing efforts to minimize public understanding of plastics consequences in the world. Uh, And I just want to read you one more quote from the attorney general. He said, for more than half a century, the plastics industry has engaged in an aggressive campaign to deceive the public, perpetuating a myth that recycling can solve the plastics crisis. So that's a pretty big deal for the government to admit that recycling is a myth. Um, So as you can probably tell, I was very happy to see this news. Um, And by the way, if you're not sure what fossil fuel companies have to do with plastic, I think a lot of people don't realize that the vast majority of plastic products are made out of oil or gas. Um, I didn't realize that until someone recently. So don't be embarrassed if you didn't know. We're here to learn. Um, But yeah, one of the things that Andrea actually mentioned uh, that didn't make it into the final cut was that oil companies... Uh, see the writing on the wall with electrification and uh, have been doubling down on preserving their plastics business. So anyways, there's a whole long conversation to be had about plastic on another day, but this is just a really great sign of progress. 
Uh, and then our second headline, which is not as happy, but it does transition nicely into our interview, is that um, Southern California is now facing some pretty steep water restrictions in in light of our worsening drought and the fact that the first three months of this year were the driest on record. Um, so on Tuesday, the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California declared a water shortage emergency. And they said that outdoor watering would be restricted to one day a week for about 6 million people throughout L.A., Ventura, and San Bernardino counties. Um, So it's not the entire population of those. It's broken down by regions depending on um, whether their water comes from. But, uh, yeah, that takes effect on June 1st. And they said that if things don't improve enough by September, they might completely ban outdoor watering. So with that in mind, (laughs) uh, let's dive into the concept of desalination. Okay, my guest today is Andrea Leone Grossman. She is the Director of Climate Action at Azul, which is an ocean conservation group currently opposing a pending desalination plant in Huntington Beach. Andrea, welcome. Thank, thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for uh, coming by. Um, so uh, first of all, can you tell me a little bit about your background, how you got into this line of work? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I have been um, a, an activist almost all my life, and I, um, I actually am a Mexican-born immigrant, and I came here many years ago to um, come to college on a scholarship. And I've been involved in all kinds of different activism from um, juvenile rights to um, social justice to immigration rights, uh, but I'm really, really passionate about climate justice. And before I came on to Azul, I was working at Food and Water Watch on the campaign to get LA to be 100% renewable energy. And while I was there, I authored two different books about energy, one about fracking and one about uh, renewable technologies. Um, And then um, I started working for Azul in 2018 uh, as a director of climate action. Awesome. Um, Yeah, I saw that you wrote a book about fracking, which is being drawn upon in Mexico's legal battles with oil companies. Is that true? Yes. So they, they tried to kind of privatize the um, oil company down there and they just didn't have the technology to start fracking. So they kind of welcome big oil to go and frack there. And there's a misconception that just because we allow it here in the States that is well regulated and it's okay. So um, that was part of my contribution to the book to kind of, you know, dispel that and ensure that people understand that that's not a practice that they, we, we want anywhere, yeah. not only for the water that it uses and contaminates, but, you know, everything that goes with it, the emissions, the fact that it contributes to climate change and earthquakes and a whole host of factors that we just, you know, don't need to be doing that type of thing. Right. Right. I mean, I would argue that it isn't well regulated even in the U.S. So no, no, it's not regulated. I mean, there's no such thing as as well regulated anything that has to do with fossil fuels. So we we really need to move on to 100 percent renewable energy. Yeah, fair enough. Um, And your group, uh, Azul, focuses mostly on uh, marine life preservation. Is that right? Well, we uh, mostly focus on uh, conservation of uh, the coast and ocean. And we especially want to fight industrialization of the coast because we really think that we need to protect those type of resources. 
so we'll fight something like desalination, um, anything that has to do with plastic pollution, offshore drilling, and that type of that type of thing. One of our biggest campaigns right now is uh, 30 by 30. That's to protect 30% of uh, land and ocean by 2030, with the uh, the goal of having 50 by 50 by you know 50% of coast and ocean by uh, 2050. Got it. Interesting. And what does is, what is protecting mean in that sense? So basically designating uh, a protective area. So that means protecting from industrialization and basically industry, um, especially extractive economies, and, and make sure that we have equitable access for everyone. Because right now, if you see you know, people who have access to go to the coast and enjoy our oceans, it's really disproportionately uh, for those who have wealth. And we saw that with the pandemic right now, uh, people who live like in the inner city, it's really hard for them to access uh, our coasts, be it um, the accommodations are really high, um, you know, for them to afford or even parking. So, uh, or public transportation. So that's what we focus on. And also ensuring that people, especially here in California, for instance, that they know that every beach is public and they know the rights. Mm. Cool, okay. Um... That all sounds great, but getting into the topic at hand. Um, so in my last episode, I spoke at length about uh, this historic mega drought that the American West is uh, experiencing, supposedly the worst in 1,200 years. Um, and so in light of that, communities are exploring new ways to source their water. Um, Poseidon Water is a company that currently uh, owns and operates a desalination plant in Carlsbad near San Diego. And they are proposing to build a $1.4 billion plant in Huntington Beach, California. Um, It's been in the works for more than 20 years, as I understand it. And as things stand, they are currently awaiting approval from the California Coastal Commission. That all sound right? Yes. (laughs) Okay. That's all. Okay. So, um, Generally speaking, why are you opposed to this desalination plan? So Azul, as an organization, we don't oppose desal. We don't say never say never, but it should always be considered the last resort. It's the most expensive way to source water and the most energy intensive and the one that has a lot of repercussions, especially as it you know, goes um, in terms of the ocean. Uh, not only in the in the sense of um, extracting all this water and killing marine life, but also for every gallon of desalted water, you can get a gallon to two gallons of really um, toxic brine, really thick toxic brine that is thrown back into the ocean. So you have like a double whammy of uh, mar- marine mortality. And um, and right now, the fact is that I think California is important to say that we don't really have a water shortage problem. We have a water management problem. Mm-hmm. Is what are we doing with the water that we have? Um, and I know, for instance, a lot of people look at, at places like Israel that have implemented uh, desalination plants. But before they even went there, they really exhausted every other avenue um, to source water, like water recycling and efficiency. They have a state-of-the-art water Uh, leakage detection system. So um, they did all that before they went on to desalination. Right now, Israel uh, recycles about 90% of the water. In California, we recycle about 11% of our water. So when it rains, we're really uh, trying hard to flush all that water into the sea, uh, along with pollutants and everything. So there's really no reason for us to really think about 
how can we collect all that stormwater in an efficient way when it rains? It's still going to rain, like we just had some rain last night. So instead of having all that rain flow into the ocean, what are we doing to collect that? Yeah. Uh, an interesting fact, um, for instance, in, in LA is that the second most paved department after Department of Transportation is LAUSD. We have really paved over everything. So even when it rains, we don't, we're not letting that water permeate to recharge our aquifers and our groundwater. Uh, and that's something that could be really fixed with uh, building code. I mean, we're also still flushing our toilets with drinking water. There's no yeah. reason to do that. And, and just because we've always done it that way, doesn't mean that we should keep doing it that way. And that's also a building code. That's something that could be fixed with a stroke of a pen. So, okay. um, and there's a lot of energy also embedded in water. Uh, right now we use in California 19% of all the electricity that is generated to move water, whether it's uh, over the mountains or to get it delivered to your home or business, we use a lot of energy to do that. 9% of the energy. The 19. 19. 19%. That's it, a huge, yeah. Of the entire energy that California uses is used to transport water. Wow. Yeah. And that's a huge, because, and, and the thing is that when we first had the first drought uh, about a decade ago, uh, big, big drought, uh, and we were all asked to conserve, it was not only that we did a good job with conservation, but also emissions went down because there was a lot less energy used to move that water. So yeah. we, we got cleaner air by using less water. So that's where it's worth mentioning as well. Interesting. Yeah. That's um, something yeah. I don't so, think people think about. I think people realize a, a fifth of our energy is spent on transporting water. That's crazy. And about 30% of gas, of methane gas is, you know, because of a, a lot of the plants, the power plants use gas to operate. So that's a lot of emissions as well. Because you're fracking for that gas and then you're bringing the gas and then you're storing the gas in places like Aliso Canyon that are still poisoning people. So right. there's a lot of repercussions when it comes to water that is not really front and center because it's not really talked about. People just open, you know, their faucets or use sprinklers for their backyards or, you yeah. know, front yards. And, uh, and that's not something that people immediately think about, but Sorry. we should be thinking about Can that. Can you explain what was that connection between the water and methane? I didn't follow well, that. You know, people call it natural gas, but there's nothing natural about gas. So I, right. it's methane. So sure. basically you are burning this methane in power plants to uh, keep the electricity going. Oh, I see what you're saying. Right. That's, that's the energy that we're using to transport that's, the water. That's, right? that's the so, electricity that we're using. Right. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I see your point. So um, okay. just like, yeah. like I say that the cheapest kilowatt is the one we don't have to produce and the cheapest yeah. gallon of water is the one we don't have to source. So yeah. if we really were investing in, in efficiency, in conservation, in having gray water systems, in recycling the water that we have, not only we would save water, we will also save in all those emissions that we have right now to you know, produce all that electricity to move the water. But even as we look to go 100% renewable energy, not just in LA, but in California, we, we would not have to build up all that infrastructure for energy uh -huh. as we get more efficient. We, we still have to build a lot of uh, load capacity in terms of renewables, because we are looking to electrify transportation and then also electrify a lot of housing. But a lot of people are still using gas furnaces and, and a lot of that type of, uh, polluting um, infrastructure. So there's still a lot of renewables that have to be built. I just don't think we need to be building renewables to privatize water. Like, it, you know, is the, an example with the sign. Okay. 
Well, I'm glad you brought that back full circle. Yes. <laughs> I, I do want to, I do want to discuss some of the alternatives later, but let's, let's get into the, the, this specific uh, proposal. So Poseidon, the company that is, wants to build a desalination plant says that the increased cost of any individual's water bill would only be around three to $5 a month. Um, would you argue that that's too much to pay for long-term water security? Well, that's what they have been saying for a long time. And, and I don't even know if that's true. If you look at, at um, Cosbad, which we already have an example, right. uh, it now has one of the most expensive water in the, in the nation. And there's actually a report to that effect from um, Consumer Reports and The Guardian that came out last year or the year before. But there's, an, there's actually a, um, a chart which says like how, how actually water went up when this plant went online. So uh, there's a big... Uh, segment of the population that cannot afford the water in San Diego anymore, because again, mm -hmm. we're, we're investing in this type of infrastructure that is super expensive and it's eroding our, our basic human right to water. Cause part of the human right to water in California, which is the law since 2012 is to that the water has to be affordable. Mm -hmm. So, um, and the problem is that the sign will float figures like that, but they will not tell us exactly how much will this water cost. Yeah. And if you ask them that, they'll give you all kinds of answers except an actual figure. Because right. uh, they say, well, it depends on when we build it, when we get the permit. When, like, they know, they have crunched the numbers, and that's why they're <laughs> still pursuing this permit. Sure. Now, having said that, they did start this um, proposal back in 1999. Right. But the, and the project itself hasn't really changed that much in terms of technology, even though we do have an ocean plan amendment that just came out a few years back which actually calls for the best technology to be used like subsurface intakes. Those are the, the intakes that actually have to go under the sand to, um, to get the water. And when you use that type of system, um, you, you don't have to use as many chemicals to treat the water and as many filters to treat the water and therefore not as much energy to treat the water. Uh, they don't wanna use those um, subsurface intakes because they want to save some money and use actually the, the intakes that they have right now that the AES gas plant is using that will actually be illegal wow. to use as of 2023 because those intakes will be illegal to use for uh, cooling the, their turbines for the generation plant. Really? So, so they will be illegal for power generation, but, but they will be legal for desalination, which doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Why, why, why are they becoming illegal? because uh the marine mortality wow okay so again you have, you have this issue right. with that but then they will still kill the same amount of sea life yeah and actually it could kill more because it's not just the intake that will kill fish and larvae and and uh, sea life in general but also then you have you have to deal with the toxic brine being dumped back into the ocean mm -hmm. and that well, brine tends to sink all the way to the bottom of the ocean killing other species yeah. Okay. I want to get to the brine in a second, but staying on, on the topic of the cost of it, um, they say that they cite studies that within six to seven years, the cost of importing water will be about the same as the cost of this desalination plant. Um, you know, I, I realize a lot of these things are long-term projects, right? Like there may be enough water in this community right now, but down the road, as things get drier and drier, um, you know, do you see that as being a feasible solution if it, if it were to become cost-effective? 
No. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and they actually have been saying that uh, that the cost of the um, of the water is going to eventually be more for um, imp for imported water than uh, for desalted water. Yeah. And actually, I do have a chart from 2003 uh, showing that 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 the uh, the costs are going to actually cross. Uh, by 2010 so they've been saying this for a long time but he never <laughs> the just, same the same seven-year number <laughs> yeah exactly so uh yeah no no uh the fact is that this is the most expensive and the most energy intensive uh way to source water whether you use dirty energy or you use renewable energy is very energy intensive okay so, yeah i know that was one of the sticking points too is that um you know they claimed they were going to use 100% renewable energy. And then they were like, well, we'll do our best. They didn't actually guarantee it, but it sounds like you're saying, even if they did, it still wouldn't be the right move. No, I mean, again, first, uh, the, the actual uh, permit application that they submitted, which is, I think what we, we should be going with, because that's the actual application. Yeah, that's what's being uh, considered. Exactly. Uh, mm -hmm. That that calls for uh, some offsets and some um, purchase of, of some energy. I mean, it's kind of, you know, um, complicated, but some of the yeah. offsets that they're buying to consider this plant um, carbon neutral, which is a lot of greenwashing, mm -hmm. uh, offsets in the environmental justice community is called pay to pollute or pay to poison because you're still polluting at the source and then you're buying credits somewhere else. And they're highly controversial because of the way they're set up. Um, and some of these uh, offsets as they submit it, uh, are in biofuels and those biofuels also pollute. And those, a lot of them are out wow. of the state and even some of them are out of the country in forestry credits in Ecuador. And the problem that we've been having with forestry credits is that a lot of times those forests actually um, catch on fire and then we don't even know if they're still standing. Jeez. So there's, they're really controversial. The only way that we can really call something um, completely neutral in terms of, of carbon intensity if it's really sourced locally with 100% clean renewable energy. Right. And that's not biofuels. That's right. So it's not like their proposal is that like, oh, we'll use solar or wind to power this thing. They're just saying, we'll try to offset it by purchasing things elsewhere. So, so that's the actual application as it stands right now with the Coastal Commission. They did have about a month ago, a press conference where they said that they will meet with the Orange County Power Authority, which has been uh, itself riddled with controversy uh, over a few things. But basically the, the press conference was to announce a, a memorandum of understanding, which is not a legal bound, bounding contract mm. to buy 100% renewable energy. So this is basically just like uh, a document saying we're gonna meet uh, once a month behind closed doors to discuss something. Mm -hmm. So that's not me, uh, signing on the dotted line, committing to buy 100% renewable energy to basically power this thing 100% with 100% re renewable energy. Uh, and they, they kind of try to make it sound like that, but it's not. It's not a contract. Got it. Okay. Um, so getting back to the the briny discharge <laughs> issue, the byproduct. Um, so I know in terms of the environmental impact. Uh, apparently there's also some concerns with the intake, but as for the, the output, um, you know, it, 
what's effectively happening here is taking salt water and taking the salt out, keeping the fresh water. And so then they have this leftover extra salty, briny water. Um, and that has to go somewhere and they just put it back in the ocean. Um, now the supporters of this argue that, um, California has very strict laws in place regulating this and that there have been all kinds of studies done and professionals have come in and, uh, made the evaluation that this is safe to do. And even if, if there is any harm done, then the owners of this plant will be responsible for, um, mitigating that. So you don't seem to find that to be a satisfactory explanation. (laughs) Why not? Well, I mean, there's studies already that, uh, especially in the Middle East, where they have been doing a lot of desalination in the proximity of the plant, uh, there's now an accumulation of heavy metals because it's not, it's not mm. just salt that it's in the environment. Yeah. There's other chemicals and not just chemicals that the facility is using, but also chemicals within the ocean. So you're basically extracting everything from this water. And this water basically that, that is desalted uh, in the end is mostly like basically distilled water. And this water actually um, has, they have, in order to be fit for human consumption, they have to add back some minerals because we cannot just drink distilled water. Right. So, so basically this water, the, the brine is not just salt. It has salt and it has other chemicals in it that they dump back into the ocean. So that's a study um, that it's online if you want to uh, look it up, but I, I, I can send it to you too. But it has, uh, again, concentration of heavy metals in the vicinity of desalination plants. Um, and it sinks, the brine sinks, and it kills more marine life because they're not used to that level of um, salinity. So yeah. there's, there's, there's more impacts. Uh, and I'm glad, I'm glad you brought up mitigation. For instance, in Carlsbad, they did say they were going to do mitigation and that when they approved the permit and they went online in 2015, it's 2022 and they still haven't started mitigation. Mm. So <laughs> yeah. How, how long has the Carlsbad one been active? It went online in 2015. 15. Okay. So almost seven years. Yes. Um, yeah. Has there been, I mean, they have a working model of this, right? I mean, I know you said it's pretty expensive for some people, but um, are there specific issues with that Carlsbad station that you're able to point to that are examples of why this doesn't work that well? I mean, they, they, they just keep saying that, you know, this is a uh, endless reservoir, as they call it, instead of, you know, I mean, this is not a profit center. This is in a fragile ecosystem that we need to protect. I mean, we, we've been doing all kinds of things to the ocean and, and we need to stop. I mean, this, the ocean is absorbing carbon as we speak at a, a rate that it shouldn't. I mean, the, the way that we're emitting carbon, the way that we're dumping plastics and all kinds of pollutants and having uh, leaks and, and spills and all kinds of things in the ocean. I mean, we really, that's, that's another reason why we need 30 by 30. But um, the thing, for instance, with Carlsbad is that they, they say, and even if you watch their videos, that their, out, their output is 50, 50 million gallons per day. In a good year, they have been able to actually produce 80% of that. And in a bad year, it's about 69% of that. So they mm. cannot even produce what they say they would. Mm. Um, and then, um, I don't know if you remember, we had a, a couple of years back, we had a um, algae bloom 
so you could see like you know the fluorescent i do um, remember that yeah so they had to shut down for two weeks because of that so there's if there's any kind of abnormality or uh, red algae or, or something uh, if we have an oil spill they have to shut down because mm. uh, that will foul the membranes so this is not as uh, reliable as they wanted to portray it um so there's there's different factors now this particular one that they're proposing in orange county would sit atop a brown a brownfield, um, and it, it will be right next door to Superfund site, and that really? is highly highly toxic. So oh, you're I talking about that. you're talking about the Ascon Superfund site, and if you look at historic pictures of Huntington Beach, you see hundreds and hundreds of oil derricks, oil wells everywhere in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. This is before even we had an EPA, EIRs, nothing like that. Mm. Um, and then as soon as they depleted that and they figure, okay, we can get more money from, um, real estate that we can do from oil, uh, you know, from beach properties. So they started, uh, decommissioning those wells, but it was not, no decommissioning the way we know decommissioning nowadays. So a lot of those wells are now what they call concealed. They just bury them. Um, if you look at those pictures and then you look at the CalGen map, a lot of those map, a lot of those wells are not mapped. So where they want to build these these plant, there's a very good possibility there's some of these oil wells that are not properly capped. Hmm. And it, it already happened in Marina del Rey, where one of these wells that it is concealed uh, was punctured by construction. And uh, I'll be happy to send you a, a video because uh, hmm. someone actually captured a video of a construction worker. Uh, who was there, uh, someone else uh, in the construction site pierced one of these wells. And there was a 60 feet geyser of methane along with benzene, formaldehyde and all kinds of, of nasty petrochemicals coming out. Wow. Uh, and, this, and the construction like working- Like a visible geyser you could see coming out of the ocean? No, oh out, of the, out of the, not the ocean, but the site, because it's a coastal zone. And oh, basically they're building a hotel. And, oh, and, and the person, the construction worker on top of the scaffolding is just getting like completely wet in this mud with the, the, all these chemicals. Yeah. And he manages to kind of like make it down <laughs> of this, this scaffolding. But the, again, this is also a matter of safety, not just for the workers there, but also for the community in general, because starting um, removing that toxic soil and having the prevailing winds blowing east, that means a lot of the community around there will be in danger of breathing these toxins. <laughs> and not only that, but then if you, for whatever reason, have an ignition source and you have a, a, an accident like this happening, you have a potential of a, of a blow up happening mm -hmm. next to the AES gas plant and the Ascon site where wow. they, everything there is flammable. I mean, at, at, the, at the AES gas plant, they, they also store things like ammonia and hydrofluoric acid and all kinds of nasty chemicals that are flammable right, right. yeah and we didn't really get into this but they're the proposed site is literally right next to a power plant right correct correct and, and that's so that's super fun site so yeah and when you have pipes of drinkable water going through this toxic land and in a seismic zone i mean this is just a recipe for disaster they only consider the best case scenario they have not considered the waste case the worst case scenario and i think that's an issue Sure. Yeah. It could, I mean, if you have uh, 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 these pipes built and then we have an earthquake and one of them gets fractured, you have the possibility of these chemicals 
filtering into the water and contaminating the whole water supply for Orange County. Dang. So I think it's a matter of safety. It's a matter of the human right to water. It's, it's an environmental justice issue. And, and that's why the, the Coastal Commission really needs to say no to this plant. Yeah. I realize I probably should have asked this earlier, but uh, can you explain just kind of the general science of how a desalination plant works? Sure. So basically they have an intake. Uh, and again, there's two kinds of intakes. There's the intakes that they have been using for power plants in, in the past, which is just an open intake to the ocean. And it just, just a valve, all, basically. Yeah. And uh, they, they just suck all these uh, water along with ocean life. And uh, they take this water and they put it through different um, stages to, to filter the water. And it ends up getting uh, filtered, especially through reverse osmosis, uh, especially now that it used to be that they, um, they could do it uh, through like a thermal process, but that is more antiquated now. They, they usually use reverse osmosis membranes. And, and that's another issue right now because uh, at the Carlsbad plant, which is very similar to the one that they wanna build today, those reverse osmosis filters are all made out of plastic and none of them are recyclable. So basically all those 16,000 membranes will end up in a landfill. Mm. And um, I'm sure they have to replace those fairly regularly. I, I'm not really sure how often, but it depends also whether, you know, what kind of pollution do we have in the ocean? And if, you know, again, yeah. we have an oil spill or some kind of red tide, or uh, it depends on the, again, on, on the situation. But yeah. the thing is, you know, then you have to use these super, uh, enormous amount of energy to put the water through those membranes so that you can basically take everything out of it as much as you can. The only chemical that is super hard to get out of, um, of this water is boron. And boron is a chemical that is it's really high in ocean water. And boron especially affects the, the um, human reproductive system, especially in males. So that's mm. one of the things that um, is worth highlighting. You can actually get rid of boron if you have a second pass on reverse osmosis. But if you do that, then water costs go up even more. So they hmm. usually don't do that. And what that's another you, reason why they want to... Go ahead. They, they want to mix this water with other water, not only to get more um, uh, minerals added to the water, because, you know, again, this is like the still water, but also to get the boron levels down. Interesting. So what sort of uh, health impacts is boron found to have? So in, in some tests, uh, and this is a, a, um, um, a study from Food and Water Watch that they had, I think from 2009, it found that uh, testicles uh, were sh shrinking in, yeah. So that was part of the problem from that they had. people drinking water with it was. Boron I think they or? were doing they were doing first studies in in mice and those uh, mice the testicles were shrunk. Wow, scary. Okay, sorry to interrupt, <laughs> um, but basically, yeah. So they uh, through reverse osmosis push out this distilled water, right? Um, and then they need to add some sort of minerals to that still to make it so you, you either add minerals you know at, at at the facility or you you can blend it with other water that has those minerals mm, okay um yeah so that you can do now the other thing that is worth mentioning is that when israel started uh using desalination uh they did not know about all these nuances that they were also using it for agriculture which is a very expensive way to irrigate food yeah, but, wow. um 
they irrigated a citrus orchard and all the plants died and, and it's the boron in the in the yeah oh interesting so boron is not a really good chemical to have in your water yeah yeah i guess not um so i realize this is more complicated than people realize um but i think just like on a basic level people look around and they see this drought happening they see water becoming more scarce and they look at the ocean, which ostensibly has an unlimited supply in it. Um, and I realize this may be a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. So feel free to laugh at me. But one thought that I've had about this is that uh, with climate change, you know, the polar ice caps are melting faster. And so we're getting more fresh water into the ocean, sea levels are rising couldn't desalination be one way to address that? No. <laughs> okay. No, I mean, not, not, not at the rate that the sea levels are rising. Okay. No, it will be, I mean, you will basically have to have them all lined up along all the coasts. And it would, even with that, it would not be, it would not be sustainable and it would not be at the rate, again, at the, at the rate that we're contributing to climate change. Gotcha. Okay. And, 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 and it's also worth saying that, uh, one of the latest IPCC reports that came out called desalination maladaptation. And one of the reasons- Maladaptation. Is, mm -hmm, wow. is because of the amount of energy that it uses. So yeah, again, we should also have it as a last resort, not as the first line of defense. And again, we haven't really implemented efficiency and conservation and recycling. I mean, we, we have the water. It's what are we doing with that water? Mm -hmm. And then there's a few things also worth noting in terms of urban centers, uh, we have been doing pretty good at conserving water. Uh, nowadays, we're using less water than we even used, I mean, a little bit less than we, we used even 30 or 40 years ago with more population. Hmm. We need to start decoupling population growth with water use because of how more efficient we have become. I mean, if you look at appliances and you look at, um, you know, the world we're building, um, now, and there's a lot more infill housing that uses less um, water than single family homes. And even with single family homes, there's now rebates so that you can replace your, your grass with drought tolerant plants and have drip irrigation. So we really have gone a long way, um, you know, to ensure that we can still grow using less water. So we need to make sure that that's one thing that we yeah. need to say. Now, the other thing that is very important as well is that if you look at what we're doing with the water we already have, uh, especially when it comes to agriculture and water intensive crops like almonds and pistachios in the desert, mm. that has got to stop. California supplies 80% of the almonds to the world and we need to stop doing that because uh, most of the almonds are, are again grown in the desert. And it's not just mm. the fact that we need to use more water because of high temperatures, but also the type of soil that we have in the desert. And um, so a lot of the water that, that is uh, for consumption in California, 80% of the water goes to farmers. So again, I think we need to be using that water for food and it should be for Californians and for the nation, but do we really need to be uh, providing the world with the almonds? I think we need to rethink uh, our priorities. Sure, yeah. So, so let's talk about some of the alternatives. Um, I saw in places you mentioned um, using existing 
technologies to um, save our water better. We talked a little bit about the top of the show about um, recycling, catching rainwater better. Can you talk a little bit about some of those possibilities? Absolutely. So uh, there's something called rainwater uh, capture and stormwater capture. And the difference is rainwater capture is more at the um, individual level. So if you have a house, you can have cisterns, you can have rain barrels. Um, and a lot, there's a lot of rebates for that with uh, Metropolitan Water District that you can, if your own uh, water company will, um, you can go in there and see what kind of rebates you have, uh, whether it's to catch the water, to replace your turf for, again, um, drought tolerant plants. So there's a lot of, of stuff that, that we at the individual level can do. Some water capture is more holistically, like the stuff I was talking about in terms of how do we ensure that we stop paving over everything. And it's not just for, you know, to diminish the, the, the heat island effect that we are having in overall, but also to, mm -hmm. to ensure that we recharge our aquifers um, and, and we also collect a lot of this water without really building new dams because that's also not really what I'm advocating for. Um, so there's, and there's also a lot of jobs to be had in, in, those, um, in those areas if we really you know, wanna up our game in terms of conservation and in terms of local water. Then when it comes to water recycling, we're, um, we have a few projects already in the pipeline uh, there's a Carson facility that is uh, in expansion right now that is on track to have 47,000 jobs for, uh, that basically will be directly related to this plant in, in Carson. There's a big uh, recycling plant also in Orange County um, that is one of the bigger ones in the nation. Um, and again, it's just the water that we already have is just treating it and, and bringing it back to drinking standards. And a lot of this water is, uh, is cleaner than, you know, even water that you can buy that is bottled water. So we, we have really high standards in terms of what we, we need. And, and that water needs a lot less energy than desalinating water. And mm -hmm. it's not only friendlier in the environment, you know, as, as it goes, you know, in terms of the environment and climate change, it's friendlier on the pocketbooks of families who cannot afford something as expensive as the Poseidon water. Yeah. So in terms of rainwater capture, is it, is it as simple as paving less roads? I mean, are you advocating tearing up some of that pavement and bringing it back to dirt to replenish? Well, not necessarily the roads, but, but again, like when you have all these schools that are paved uh, and a lot of them, um, you know, especially inland, uh, they're creating these heat island effects and they're, they're, hurting our kids uh, because again, climate change, but also hurting them when they trip and they fall and they get injured. If we, we had some other kind of um, surface that was not as rigid and was not completely like, you know, cement. Right. Uh, it will be, it will be a win-win. Uh, and I've seen some schools already, you know, doing that and also having um, classes about composting and classes about farming and you know having like their own like urban farm if you will mm -hmm. i think that will go a long way uh if if a lot more schools implemented that sure. so i think there was a program actually a few years ago called unpave la and it was about that like oh really how many surfaces can we do away with all these asphalt and cement yeah uh, i mean i assume you can't just leave it you don't want your kids just walking around on dirt right but maybe there's something in the middle <laughs> between concrete and dirt that's like more um, absorbent. 
Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of ground cover that we can have that is okay. native and and that is again is is appropriate for kids to walk in and it's yeah. is, is great for um, pollinators and it's great for rain. So we we can really have our cake and eat it too when it comes to water. Okay, all right, good to know. Um, what about uh, the idea of recycling used water? Um, any thoughts on? The viability of that as a source. When you say use water, what what? Do so you mean? like the uh, wastewater, human wastewater. I mean that's basically recycling water, and they that's what they do. For instance, of that Hyperion plant, that's where all the wastewater goes. Okay. Um, I do think that there's still a um, a place for us uh, at the residential level to do mm-hmm. gray water systems. So that means that you do have. You know your your um, your own irrigation system, for instance, uh, based on uh, your water that you use for laundry and for your shower, basically to irrigate your own plants, even if it's you know your drought tolerant plants. So you you were using your own at um, at your own place, sure. um, and then you you know all the other water could be treated again and again. It bring, it's brought up to the same standard if not better uh it still uses less energy than getting salt out of um seawater right right okay so is that currently um in place as a like source of tap water of potable water are are some houses in california drawing upon recycled water yeah we 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 have it in place not at the rate that we should have it but we do have it in place now some places uh, don't recycle it to the to the drinking standard, but that is the water that is recycled for irrigation. So like they, they might use it in like right. dividers, like just for irrigation purposes. Yeah, I was under the impression that it was only used like on golf courses or parks or something. And I've seen, you know, the little signs that say like, don't drink this water, like this is <laughs> recycled so of water. Course, no, no recycling to the uh, drinking standard uses way less energy. And, sure. and you know, there's a place to have something like that, you know, but, um, but in terms of drinking water, I think that we really need to up our game. Again, we already have the water. Do we want to just treat it and dump it into the ocean and then desalt it? Mm-hmm. That just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. But to be clear, there are places where that recycled wastewater is treated to drinking levels. And Standards, people... yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I want, do the residents realize that they're drinking formerly <laughs> sewer water? But that's okay. I mean, you uh, know, it's okay it's like, with me. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm all for it. I understand that, you know, it's able to be brought up to that level, but I'm sure uh, a lot of people would be uncomfortable with that. And, and I mean, I, I don't know who's your utility, but for instance, my utility is LADWP and they do have to issue annual reports about water quality. So got it. Uh, you know, again, I think it's about informing yourself and, and it's what is the stake. And again, you know, all these, I mean, I'd rather drink that water than drink water that has boron. Yeah, sure. Um, okay. Any other initiatives in terms of um, just water saving technologies, efficiency um, that you think are worth mentioning? Well, I think it's, it's worth saying that, for instance, the DWP, again, they have a program uh, called HYPE. Uh, it's, I think it's, 
I'm trying to remember what, what it stands for, but basically they come to your house and they, they do an audit, not just for, en for energy, but also for water. So they make sure that you have any no leaks, uh, whether it's in your faucets, in your toilets. And if you don't have a low flow toilet, they, they'll give you one for free. Because mm. they understand it's not just the water, but the energy that is embedded in that water. Because if you do all kinds of efficiency, it's not only saving you the money, but it's saving them the infrastructure that goes with the energy and the water. So there's right. there's really good programs, and it's all for free if you're part of if you're one of the ratepayers. And I'm sure other um, agencies have the same. Interesting. Okay. Um, so just one final thought. I, I you've made it clear why you're opposed to this specific desalination plant, but I know you say never say never. Uh, I've read about desalination plants in places that have brackish water. So they don't require as much energy because it's already like less salty than ocean water. Um, are there examples that you can point to or that would be a, a good use of desalination or do you, is it? Not, not, not at this point, but I mean, it's, it, it should be in a case by case basis, but again, it's, it's a matter of like, have, have they really exhausted all the other alternatives first, like conservation and efficiency. Again, the cheapest gallon of water is the one you don't have to source. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's not just water, it's uh, energy as well. And I must say that Sammy Roth did a really good, excellent article in the LA Times about climate change. Like if you really want to help the climate, you, you should save water. And, mm. and it was it was really a uh, well-written article about and you know why we need to be saving water to save the climate. Wow, cool. Um, well, Andrea, thank you again so much for spending the time talking to me today. A uh, lot to think about here. Um, thanks again. Thank you. Okay. Uh, if you made it this far, you, you get a gold star and a whole bunch of knowledge to take home with you. Um, I don't care how smart you are. If you didn't learn something during the course of that interview, then you're lying. <laughs> um, but we do have an update. So shortly after the time that that was recorded, the California Coastal Commission staff came out with a recommendation to the commission to reject the Poseidon proposal. Um, so the commission is scheduled to vote on this on May 12th. Um, and they rarely go against the advice of their staff. However, Poseidon's parent company has spent a lot of money lobbying and they have some very powerful allies like Gavin Newsom and Diane Feinstein. <laughs> so we got to wait a couple weeks for the final word on this one. Um, okay. So a very quick, happy part. Speaking of water, um, considering the fact that it can take 2,400 gallons to make one single pair of jeans, uh, and the fact that the fashion industry accounts for about 10% of greenhouse gas emissions, uh, we had a very positive development about a month ago. The European Union put forth a plan to crack down on fast fashion. Um, so under this proposal, clothes, furniture, and smartphones would have to be longer lasting and easier to repair. And there would also be a mandatory minimum uh, amount of recycled fibers that had to be used, um, a ban on the destruction of certain unsold products, and a containment of the release of microplastics. Uh, that all would be amazing. So keep an eye on that one and fingers crossed it gets enacted. Um, all right. That's all for today. 
thank you so, so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, Hit me up with any feedback and have a great day. Turn the water off when you're not using it. (laughs) 